0: I plan on having game bags for my capes, right? Definitely game bag your meat. Never, ever, ever, ever trash bags, plastic bags for meat or capes. Like you're just asking for trouble. Just clear cloth, you know, any of the game bags that are made. You need to make sure you have some type of blocks of ice or some way of cooling that, you know, back at the truck. And, you know, if you're just winging it, you know, you're, you might be okay, but, you know, if you're driving from flag down to the valley in September and you shot a bull and you're, you know, heading to your taxidermist down in the valley, you're going you're gonna to have problems with that cave. It's just too hot that time of year. So this is one thing, if you are hunting and you've got three tags in camp or another, you know, your buddy has a tag and you've got a bull down or deer or whatever, and you're kind of worried about that cape, most towns, like, they're gonna have a processor. Yeah. And a lot of them have no problems just bagging it up, your cape, and just when you're done with your, your tag, the other tag you're helping on or whatever, just come grab it. A lot of them will. And that is ideal if you can. Every bull, every buck, they're not all gonna be mounted, right? And so, if you're not doing a shoulder mount, still preserve that trophy. Like European mounts are gorgeous in my opinion. If you've got a really hard to get tag, right? Whether it's antelope or bull, you've been waiting forever for this sheep hunt to draw finally, like it doesn't hurt to do a little homework first and find a taxidermist that you've called, you can talk to him. Ask them about their lead times, do a little homework, find the right person for you. Like I said, there's a ton of amazing taxidermists in the Valley. Hey guys, real quick before we get into this episode,
1: I need you to do me a couple of favors. First, go give us a review on iTunes. Can't stress it enough. It's really, really important for me to help keep this free and to help me keep it going. Next, get involved with your hunting rights go join Howl for Wildlife. Super simple. Takes a couple minutes. You can even do the free membership. I don't care, but be involved. Lastly, I want you to do yourself a favor and up your shooting game. Go get you some Phoenix shooting bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%. That's all I got for you. Let's get into this episode. Yeah, South Dakota was an interesting, interesting year for me. Yeah, yeah. So basically, when when I go hunting there, I have I have my lease, okay. And across, I, I guess I got to kind of paint the picture for you. The majority of the land that I operate is cedar breaks, and it's a, a cattle ranching. Um. You know, organization over there. Basically, it's a, my 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 uh, my landowner is a rancher, and yeah. so the Cedar Breaks are in this. Probably was more of a river at one point, but it's it's a creek now, and it's about a four hundred foot change in elevation from the top to the bottom where the creek is at. Yeah. And, uh, it, and it dumps off into the Cheyenne River breaks. I apologize, my I got a new puppy, and he's just oh. being a friggin' pain in my no. ass today. So <laughs> no worries. Winding like crazy. He's not, not taking to the crate training very well. Anyway, so up on top on the flats, it's just like agriculture. It's all farmlands. Yeah. And then these breaks. And typically, my portion – of the ranch you know that what i have up top you know we'll have corn or we'll have something there you know there'll be a destination of some sort destination food food source of some sort and then my neighbor to the left will have something and the neighbor but that's directly behind us that's just you know they'll have something and then the neighbor to the right he actually is an outfitter and that's all he does is runs guided hunts out of his lodge. Alright. So yeah, and then then on the right side of him is me again. So he's sandwiched between a plot of land that I have plot of land that I have access to lease from time to time depending on how many people we take. Basically, so what happened I had a lot of things working against me. It was a full moon which typically when it's that cold it doesn't really affect them that much but it does affect them a little bit. On a full moon and I had zero agriculture on any of the land that I have access to hunt. Zero. Oh, so, so it's not even drawing mean. them. so basically all I had was my brakes, which were the brakes are a great bedding area. It's I have probably the best bedding out of out of all the neighbors, even across the way, so everybody across the way had had agriculture. The the outfitter to my right had a, had corn and he had winter wheat and whatever. So like so, he, everybody had destination food, and all these bigger bucks that we were seeing and whatever was, you know, we'd catch them coming off of the neighbors and into our place. Like it wasn't like you know. They weren't on us 100% of the time, which was really difficult. That's tough. Yeah, the first couple of days, the weather was, was fairly good. We had some high winds, but our, high winds is always kind of a thing in South Dakota. Yeah. Um, and then it went from, you know, high winds and, you know, blue sky, you know, bluebird skies and whatever, and uh, to absolute just terrible like foggy rainy like we had uh the second day that was like a super foggy it was like this icy like icy mist so it it was kind of like raining like misty but it was way too cold for rain and the second it would hit something it would turn to ice
0: Lovely.
1: It was crazy because, like, the clouds must have been warmer, like had warm, moist air in them, and they were just precipitating. You know, the, this like I don't know, like a dense mist, and but it was so cold out that it immediately turned to to, to ice. So every, like, yeah. my bag had a you know my backpack had a layer of ice on it. Like, if you moved it, it went like like it crunched and cracked, and it was. You know, I was soaking wet and cold and miserable.
0: Um, <laughs> it's the yeah. one thing you can't ever predict, or you just got to deal with it. Is the weather? We had uh, we had really high wind down south on the October rifle coup, so I mean, it's just you got to deal with it. You know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I had my
1: opportunities, yeah. so I can't complain. And the opportunities that I blew them. I blew. Up. Yeah, it, had, it wasn't. It had. I had nobody else to blame but me.
0: <laughs> um, um, you guys do any gun hunts or is it just all archery?
1: Um, I can do rifle hunters on there, but the uh, God, his dog is driving me insane. Um, I can do rifle hunters, but it's a draw. So, yeah, you know,
0: tip typically- archery is just an over the counter.
1: Kind of. So it's first come, first serve. You have to apply an application, but pretty much you're going to get a tag. So yeah, I've never had Dang. anybody not get
0: a tag. Well, I'll have to uh, <laughs> plan something, come out and hunt with you. I'd love to get out there. Yeah, it's a great great place, man. It really
1: nice.
2: Awesome.
1: I'm um, typically booked out a couple of years. Yeah, um, well, I'd better... I better
2: get something. Going.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, what do we are we looking twenty twenty five or twenty twenty six? How can a guy like me twenty twenty five
1: is open right now? Yeah, all right. Yeah. Well. I got somebody in line for twenty twenty three, and I think well twenty twenty three for sure. Twenty four. I don't know. That can. I don't think I got money or deposit for that one yet. So, nice. Right, that could change. Cool. Yeah
2: right on anyway
1: so um yeah i'm I'm talking with uh josh i don't even know what your last name is brian uh todd josh todd josh todd okay josh todd and uh josh owns uh mcdowell mountain
0: taxidermy yeah so i'm a just a small custom shop um you know i just take in so much work each year and it's, it's not my primary business. This is a more of a passion and a hobby for me. Mm-hmm. So I only take in so much every year and just lets me kind of take my time and do what I want to do. Like I'm kind of selective of what I take in. Right. Um, but I do, you know, ton of European mounts every year. And
2: uh,
0: I do a lot of refurb work. I think being up here in North Scottsdale, you get a bunch of, You know, people from out of town that have a a second home up here for the winter, and they're buying like a cool Texas Longhorn shoulder mount or something that they want in their Southwest home. But it's just completely deteriorated, right? And so, I do a ton of refurb work and just clean everything up and re, you know, rebuild whole noses and lips and eyes and just kind of bring them back to life. Awesome. Yeah. So
1: I got you on today because we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, I guess, in-field care and some of the things to do to help your taxidermist give you the best possible product.
0: So to be honest, John, it it all starts in the field, man, Mm -hmm. from the moment you know you get something down you you know the clock's ticking right and a lot of us have that mentality when it comes to the meat right we want to preserve that meat and just have it like the highest quality but if you are planning on doing some type of mount so you know everything from shoulder mounts half-life size to life size even if it's a small mammal like a bobcat or Predator hunter, right? The clock's ticking, Um, especially here in Arizona and on the West. We get the warmer weather and, you know, it's really the bacteria that's going to cause the hair to start slipping, whether it's fur or hair. It's just only a matter of time. Um, So the sooner you kind of get it cold is like the number one thing you can do to help yourself. But you know, if that starts it, let's say you got a deer on the ground or an elk, you know, you're going to want, first of all, to cape them far back. You need to leave enough for us to to actually do what needs to be done. Some of these mannequins on, like a bull elk,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: man, there's a lot of shoulder on them. And elk, especially, is really deceiving because they're just so big. You cape them far back and Like you think it's plenty and then I'll get it and I'll be like, you're over, you know, you're a foot short, man. So what's far back for me? Like I've always
1: taken the body halfway.
0: Yep. Halfway zipped it around and and totally put peel half. Totally. As a rule of thumb, like halfway and you're going to be just fine. But like you take a bleak halfway back for his cape and then look at it on the ground and you're like, Holy cow. That's a lot, and especially if you're back in there and you got to pack that out. Like they're not, yep. they're not light at all. Um, but there's so many cool different mannequins that are out there for your taxidermists to use, and a lot of taxidermists are making custom alterations. Like the sky's the limit in terms of what we can create, or like what someone wants to do. Like if one mannequin just doesn't have that perfect look that you're looking for. Like we're just going to, for me at least, and I know a lot of others, you tell us what you're wanting and we'll make it a reality. Um, But like on those bull elk, like I'm saying, like the amount of different mannequins that are out there, there's really cool like pedestal mounts or wall pedestal style. And you just need more shoulder for that type of stuff. You just need more cape. And so just giving us extra is never going to hurt us. We'll trim it back as necessary. Right. But more, if we have to totally, been, been enough. <laughs> Oh, totally. Yeah. If we have to like totally alter the mannequin to reduce the length of the neck or something or in the shoulder just to make it work, like it's not going to look right. It's going to cost a little more. Like, just take it, pack that extra weight out. It'll be worth it. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So let,
1: let's but, let's take it. Let's take a. Uh, all right, since we're talking about elk, let's and that's a good time of year where you're going to kind of be racing the clock if you're hunting archery elk. Totally, you still get yeah. out. So let's let's take it from. All right, I shot the bull. I located it. Where, what do I do from here? You just give me play by play, step by step. Even if it, even if it sounds yeah. like it might be, uh, you know, common knowledge or whatever.
0: Yeah, no worries. So, you've got your bull down. Um, Obviously, you know, tag it, high fives with your buddy, take your pictures, take your time to do that because there's plenty of time to capture that moment. Right. Right. Um,
1: You only get get that chance once. You're only
0: (laughs) you put so much time in scouting and driving back and forth and like capture that moment because you'll be sorry if you just rushed it. There's plenty of time. You're not gonna slip the, the cape because you took an extra ten minutes to really clear the brush out from underneath the animal, chuck those legs up underneath, you know, tuck, put the tongue back in. Like take the time because it it's worth it. But once you've done that, you've got your pictures done and you guys are ready to get to work, halfway back on the animal. It doesn't matter if it's a bighorn sheep, like it. And this is assuming you're going to do a shoulder mount, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So take it halfway back, and basically I start there, and I, you know, the sharpest knife I use a number 22 scalpel now. I just buy the replacement blades, and you know, buy the hundreds. But that's what I carry in my pack with my little handle. Uh, it's just five of those, you know, foil wrap blades. And then I also, I've got a little beefier outdoor edge with some replacement blades. But yeah, halfway back, I slip my blade right underneath that that hide. And I'm going to use that spine as my line, basically my guide. And you're going to run it straight up the back of that spine all the way until you get pretty much to the back of the neck. Mm-hmm. and you'll know there's like a crease at the back of the neck it doesn't matter what it is if it's an antelope or a deer or an elk you know where the head like you can even move the head up and down and it'll articulate and it'll show you that crease and that's pretty much about where you want to stop and from there uh you'll be able to you know you've got a left and a right flap pretty much opened up and you're just going to start working that flap and really grab onto it and pull away from you while you're guiding that knife to kind of cape it out and on the front I prefer you know all my stuff or my buddies when we're hunting together I just take a blade and I go at the kneecap on the Mm -hmm. front quarters and I just tube them right there I just run my blade around that kneecap and find that joint and basically now you're just pulling away your left and your right flap of each front shoulder And if you're doing the gutless method, like this is so easy because you're just starting and you're basically completely exposing that front quarter first. Mm -hmm. Right. And then just, you'll get to the front shoulder and because you made that cut around the front knee, you just pull up on that shank and just pull and it, you know, you may need to kind of slip your knife around and kind of work that around the shanks there. But um, you'll just basically pull that whole front quarter at the leg out. Uh, and you'll want to kneecap it after you make that cut around the hide. It's just go ahead and take that that leg off. And then you can pull that leg right up through that front sock, pretty much is what you did. Um, and that allows you to tube it. Uh, a lot of guys also cut up the back side of the leg, and that's that's perfectly fine too. But there's some of these mannequins that... Have a little bit of leg right Right, built into the shoulder, and this looks awesome. And if we have to sew that on the back side of that leg, it's not the end of the world, but it's just just as easy to tube it, in my opinion. Like it's pretty fast. But once you've got that front quarter kind of exposed, and the hides now kind of you know attached to the neck in the brisket area, you've got that front quarter. I just take that front right off, you know, it's got that shoulder blade and it just pops right off right into a game bag and then um uh, kinda start working the neck a little more and take your time here because you know we can fix anything but the less we have to fix, you know, the faster we get your mouth done. Right. And um just less work. We're not miracle workers, but we can fix a ton of stuff. Um but the less we have to, just the better end product. Um, so you just work that that front until you kind of get to a stopping point, right? If you're doing the gutless method, you're at a stopping point by the time you get towards the bottom of the neck and kind of that bottom of the brisket and, you know, finish taking actually, so you, you started up at your spine, right? And you work all the way up. Mm-hmm. You'll want where you started. Now, imagine an imaginary circle. All the way around the torso of that animal from where you started, okay. right, mm-hmm. and that circle you, you basically need to make that cut. And so where I started, then I kind of turn ninety degrees, and I basically just work towards the ground, making that circle towards the belly, pretty much, and right. then I stop because it's laying on its side, right. From there, you you can pretty much you've got one big whole left flap or you know right flap, however you do in the front quarter. And that whole backside, right? You don't need any of that at all. And so now it's just a matter of quickly skinning that out, taking your rear quarter at the ball and socket, your back straps, your tenderloins, your rib meat, any neck meat. Um, Just kind of clean it up real good of any of that scrap meat and your main quarters. Now it's time to flip them. And so I just take all the work I had done for that front quarter to really cleanly skin it out on the front Mm -hmm. all that's there now is the torso right part of the neck and and the rib cage and everything i just put that cape right back on it like it was wearing it again and now it's time to just flip it and then you're just going to repeat the same process so you'll be able to continue now on the other direction 90 degrees where you started your incision down the spine and just continue that cut down towards the ground and you'll meet with your other one at the belly and now you're ready to just keep continuing to skin down towards that front quarter take do your cut circular around the kneecap again go ahead and take that leg off at the kneecap and just work the joint tube that front quarter out again at the leg just like you've done on the other side and then continue to work down towards the neck and now pretty much you've got the neck fully exposed towards the base of the skull mm-hmm. and a lot of times you know There's a bunch of different ways you can take that head off and kind of detach it from the vertebrae. My preferred is once I've got pretty much the cape fully exposed in the neck, like the pretty much the jugular, right where that crease is, you know, where the head articulates and you can see it move, like you can move the head. Right. I like to flip that head upside down. So the antlers are now poking in the ground and that jugular is, you know, exposed to the sky. And I cut through that and hit the last vertebrae right there as it enters the back of the, the spinal column there into the brain back of the brain, it just comes perfect off right there, and uh, you're not having to lug out additional vertebrae or neck meat. and it just really comes off pretty fast. My buddy Joe showed me that one, and I've never <laughs> I've never looked back. But so now you have the head right? Mm -hmm. And you've got your cape and it's been really well taken care of. And it's just not a ton of dirt because you literally just did one side at a time, right? You've got all your meat game bagged up. I plan on having game bags for my capes, right? Okay. Definitely game bag your meat. Never, ever, ever, ever trash bags, plastic bags for meat or capes. Like, You're just asking for trouble. Just clear cloth. You know, any of the game bags that are made, they're all great. They all need to
1: breathe.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's got to breathe. And your cape is no different, man. It cools it down just like your meat. It's just as important if you're putting in the work to cape it out and you have time invested and, and you want that trophy preserved. You need to put it in a game bag. Uh, so it breathes, it's protected. You're going to be packing it out. But yeah, bag it up. and Now it's off to the truck as, you know, safely and quickly as you can. Um, it takes some, a little pre-planning. You need to make sure you have some type of blocks of ice or some way of cooling that, you know, back at the truck. And, and you know, if you're just winging it, you know, you're, you might be okay, but You know, if you're driving from flag down to the valley in September and you shot a bull and you're, you know, heading to your taxidermist down in the valley, you're going to, you're going to have problems with that cape. It's just too hot that time of year. Mm -hmm. It's just too hot, you know, and that's part of hunting here on the West. So to be honest, I use like two liter Empty two liters. I always fill them with water, right. and I always have a bunch of them frozen at all times in my deep freezers. And when like there's no trip to the gas station to make sure I get ice before I head out, like I just grab a couple, and throw them in my, throw them in my cooler. Yeah. Another big advantage of running those blocks that are kind of self-contained like that, and like Yeti makes some good products and a bunch of others, but it gets. Your, whether it's your bagged up meat and your cake, it gets it up and out of the bottom of the cooler mm-hmm. and it keeps it out of the water. You want your meat protected. You don't want it sitting in that ice water. And the same with your cake. You do not want that cake sitting in, in the water. It may be cold, but it's just... bacteria can spread a lot easier when it's in liquid, you know. Right. It, it's just not not something you're looking to do. Um, So having those blocks is just, it's awesome. I have ice anytime I want. It keeps it out of the water because there is really no water other than maybe a little condensation. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah. So now the clock's really ticking. Try to. So this is one thing. If you are hunting and you've got three tags in camp or another, you know, your buddy has a tag and you've got a bull down or deer, whatever. And you're, kind of worried about that cape most towns like they're going to have a processor yeah and a lot of them have no problems just bagging it up your cape and just when you're done with your your tag the other tag you're helping on or whatever just come grab it a lot of them will and that is ideal if you can it'll really pay off and then you're not even stressing about it right it's going to be frozen solid by the time you pick it up which means on your whole drive back down to the valley or wherever you're going, like it is frozen solid still when you drop off and that's like your best case scenario. But if you are stuck in camp and you know, you're just too far back in um, or for whatever reason, there isn't a processor you can use. um, Just be mindful of it. Just try to keep it cold. That's the biggie is try to keep it cool. So heat is not your friend.
1: Yeah. So, I know one of the things that I've always had, I shouldn't say had an issue, but for lack of better terminology, had an issue with, is that here you got this big head rack on it, hopefully a big rack, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Um, And if I'm close to where my taxidermist is, and I say within like an hour, then i leave it on there i leave i leave the cape on there because yeah i would much rather have you do it totally than yeah me go cutting and turning lips and doing all you know i'm saying i've done it obviously plenty of times but it's not i don't like doing it because I don't yeah, feel comfortable it, doing it, <laughs> not because I don't it, physically like doing. Oh yeah, I don't like extra work either. But but besides that, I don't want to. I always fear screwing it
0: up. You know? you know the face. The face is like again, we can fix a lot of stuff, but the face is what you're looking at, right? right? When mm-hmm. when anyone looks at a finished piece, you're you're looking straight at the eyes first. And that, and you're drawn into that face. And it just so happens the face is thinner skin than everywhere else. And it's the easiest to cut. And while we can fix it, you'll see like a lot of times we can sew it back up, but you'll still see a faint line. And it requires a little bit of airbrushing or a little extra something. Right. And so, you know, almost all taxidermists, we're going to want you to bring it in with... That that hide still on the face. Let us take care of of yeah, taking it off the face, taking our time. So we're getting so. How do you keep the hide?
1: How do you keep the hide cool if I'm not? I'm not turning out the lips and taking it. You know, I'm not taking
0: it off the skull. Like actually
1: keeping it, technically keeping it off.
0: I mean, at that point, you're you're just gonna have to get creative because if it's a bull, Mm -hmm. right, or a you know big mule deer. You know, you've got this big set of rack, that, you know, a ton of antlers sticking out your cooler and you just got to do the best you can. Just keep it out of the water. Keep it cool. Uh, a lot of times I have, you know, those like packing blankets mm-hmm. for like moving. Yep. I always have one of those in my truck no matter what. And okay. a lot of times I'll just set that on top and kind of pack it in the cooler on top of the cape and just you leave the cooler open gotcha that packing blanket will help really insulate, insulate stuff it. yeah and that definitely helps but i mean if you're serious about you know first of all if you're wanting to mount a bull it's a good one you may have to go out of your way to to really take care of it um you're already you know ton of time invested on the hunt it's a once you know a lot of times nowadays with how long it takes to draw some of these premium tags it's might be a once or twice in a lifetime tag right mm-hmm. and so you know if you've got some money invested into the taxidermist, you know uh, shoulder mount on a bull elk's gonna be like 1800 bucks so you're already invested enough if you need to drive into town to try to find a processor or something just enjoy the rest of your hunt Help your buddy. If there's multiple tags and camp, spend a half a day driving to the nearest processor, if you can, that's going to be your best bet because of how much you've already got invested into
2: this. Mm-hmm. If
0: it's a if it's like October and it's a coos deer a lot of us we're all running coolers that are pretty deep enough, right? Mm-hmm. Even a big hundred inch plus coos deer a lot of times can fit in the cooler. Um, so just key is keeping it out of the water at that point but then you know get it to your taxidermist um every bull every buck they're not all going to be mounted right and so if you're not doing a shoulder mount still preserve that trophy like european mounts are gorgeous in my opinion i think the contrast between the color of the the antlers or, you know, the rack and that that real starchy white look of a, a nice European mount, they just look beautiful. I agree. Um, and, uh, you know, surprisingly, my wife actually likes them a lot more than uh, shoulder mounts. And I think that's not uncommon, to be honest. Uh, for, my wife's the same. Yeah, it's just it's got a cool style to them. And I think they're beautiful. And so a couple tips on trying to get the best end result for your European mount, which kind of seems like, well, what's the difference? Leave that hide on. So everything we talked about still applies when you're in the field. Take it right at the spinal column. But luckily for this, if you're not doing a shoulder mount, you don't need any of that cape. So just keep the hide on the head, but just cut it off at the neck, right? Mm -hmm. You want to leave that hide on the head and stick it right in your cooler till you come home if you can drop off at your taxidermist uh, right away for your amount like you should we'll take it from there but feel free like if it's going to be a couple days just you're coming home late friday night and you can't get to your taxidermist till monday stick that head in you know then you can put it in a plastic bag you know with the hide on put it in your deep freezer if you can If you don't have a deep freezer, it's fine. Just keep it cold and it'll be perfectly fine. Even in August, in your garage, if there's ice in your cooler and it's cold, keep it in a bag with that, You know your game bag in your cooler is fine with the hide on is the key. You're going to get just the best end result and end product when you leave that hide on. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And when we can remove it, when we're ready to actually process it and there's a ton of different methods well not a ton but there's some tried and true methods that we use for doing european mounts and um, a lot of guys boil Uh, that's actually what i do is my preferred method Um, i know a couple different shops that prefer to macerate Um, which, you know, maceration gives you just really beautiful end results. I think it actually works better for like bear, cats, pigs when you macerate. And then when you start to whiten, I think it just whitens a lot faster and holds its white in terms of like, if they're not whitened correctly, um, you'll get some yellowing in the bone as it kind of gets warmer and, you know, a month or two later. And so it's a lot of work to actually, you know, havelina, Russian boars, cats like lions and bobcats,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, bears, they just, they're oily, they, they're greasy, and it stays in that bone. So the maceration process, it, I don't know what it does like that. Anaerobic bacteria or something in the water. I think it just, it helps with it. And it's just less time to try to lighten it, um, so there's that technique. And then uh, of course, everyone's heard about using Dermestid beetles, which I would love to do, but probably wouldn't be married anymore. My yep. my wife's not going to tolerate a, a bug colony. <laughs> and you know, they're a lot of work. You got to keep them alive. You got to keep it at the right temperature. You got to feed them scraps or whatever to keep them moving yep. during the off season. Like for me, boiling is fast. I can take it in, check it in, get it processed, boiled up and get it whitening. And, you know, a lot of times I'm looking at like a two week turnaround and I know a lot of others in the Valley are as well. Uh, so it's faster. Some disadvantages is, you know, you're boiling and it can be just like with maceration not really a problem with beetles, but, you know, especially when you're boiling, you can damage the bone. And especially when you're whitening, you can kind of etch the bone and it gets almost like a etched, flaky look to it. Um, so it's kind of an art. Uh, but, you know, boiling, here's the disadvantages, is it's super expensive, right? You have propane tanks and just pots that you're using and... I particularly I use Dawn dish soap when I on my initial boil mm-hmm. um and I I use uh like a I purchase for whitening I use a straight 25% a true 25% hydrogen peroxide okay and it like you need to be a business to buy this from chemical supply companies like it's no joke you need to wear what respirator safety glasses, rubber gloves, sleeves. Um, and I delete that 50%, but I also then do a cold soak when I whiten. So I, you know, I blast it off after my first initial boil. Um, and then uh, pretty much you're removing any organic material. And then I do a cold soak in this super strong mix and I just kind of watch it. And then I hit it one more time with the pressure washer. Uh, after it's soaked in that strong mix and they come and then it sits in the sun mm-hmm. and the sun just really intensifies that whitening. so yeah it's fast uh it, just a beautiful end product but it's just more expensive and you know the potential for damage but i think maceration pretty safe you're not going to really maceration takes a long time mm-hmm. and it is so gross yeah right like you're gonna get calls (laughs) from your neighbors yep yep (laughs) and coincidentally enough um you know you think oh i'll just submerge it in the five gallon bucket of water put a lid on it and then like three months later no like it actually process works faster the more frequently you change the water for whatever reason i'm no scientist but You know, every two three days during the warm weather, changing that water is ideal, and it just way faster. Right, but it is so gross. It is probably the worst smell I've ever smelled. And I mean, June (laughs) taxidermy work? I've had plenty of those smells. Right. Yeah,
2: yeah, for sure. And
0: so, be warned if you want to try maceration technique, like buckle, (laughs) buckle up. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah so european mounts same process keep the hide on the skull for us let us take care of that yep and keep it cool so you can get it to us and uh yeah that's pretty much it in terms of trying to field prep for european mounts um nice. ton of great great small businesses and even the larger ones in the valley that just do really beautiful euro uh and that applies to shoulder balance, life-size work. Like there's a ton of great options in the Valley. I think we're really blessed here in the Valley and in the West to have just some of the most amazing taxidermists here. So, um, awesome. yeah.
1: So a couple things. One, have you ever, have you ever looked at white bone creations?
2: I have, you
0: okay. know, and, um, I think that guy is awesome. He's all about trying to communicate different techniques and a lot of his technique and process is exactly my same process right and the only difference is he'll do a rolling boil of his he uses aqua silk Mm -hmm. which is pretty much like a really strong peroxide mix but if you see his technique, he likes to get it to a rolling boil and then run it for like 15 minutes to whiten.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it kind of opens that that hot that that hot liquid opens the bone up and kind of allows that peroxide to hit it hard. But in my experience, that is the time a hot peroxide mix in hot water is how you're gonna damage the bone.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I've kind of shied. Away. I used to use that same exact technique, to be honest. And it, if you watch it really closely, it works beautifully and does exactly what you want, way faster. But the last thing I ever want is like a beautiful European mount that just Hunter did a great job in the field with care, and then I three four minutes too long like it's bone every everything's different right Mm -hmm. and i get some etching on the bone and it it doesn't look like horrible by any means but for me i want them to just be smooth to the touch i want them to be perfect and beautiful and i just feel like personally i don't have enough control Mm -hmm. when i'm running a hot peroxide boil like that to whiten and so that's where I, I run them in Rubbermaid totes and I submerge them in a cold soak of that super strong mix. When you're running it hot in a rolling boil, you don't have to have that strong of a mix. Mm-hmm. But when you're doing a cold soak, you just need a little, it seems like you just need a little stronger solution to help penetrate that bone. But time is, it takes it takes longer. And we're talking, you know, 24 hours it's not weeks or days of soaking Mm -hmm. but it just for me i pull it out of that and then just really give it a nice rinse and let it sit in the sun and they're just smooth to the touch i just it's my preferred method that i use now but gosh that yeah that guy from white bone he's he's awesome I think he's all about sharing
2: information. And, yeah. And I, I've know, had I him on
0: that. before several years
1: oh, ago. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Or was it Ryan? Ryan yeah. Wilson,
2: I think his name is? Yeah, um,
1: so
0: everything I'm telling is, uh, yeah, it's already been said. <laughs> no, no, I mean, yeah,
1: this is years ago, and and yeah, he's, like I, 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 I definitely could tell you that people don't always go back in the
0: backlog and
1: listen to this stuff, so yeah, um, right,
0: but uh, um, no, he, he's awesome, and, and I really like his content and stuff he puts out,
1: yeah. So, I got one last question for you before I let you go, yeah, let's talk about velvet antlers. Um, I shoot a a big muley in velvet. What what am I doing?
0: Yeah. Okay. So, okay. Here's my personal opinion. Mm -hmm. When someone calls me with something in velvet and it's a trophy, like it's a giant coos book Mm -hmm. or it's a big muley that you really want that original velvet, you need to first don't touch it. Try to touch the try not to touch the antlers as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Try to care for them. They are very delicate, especially towards the tips. They're not done growing. They look large. They're suppliable at the ends. You can break them off really easy. And then so just extra, extra care for that velvet. Don't touch it if you can avoid it when you're strapping that head to your pack, try to avoid straps, like digging into that velvet, like it it's velvet and it's organic tissue and it will tear and rip and bleed. And, um, you just want to really care for it as much as possible. Get it cold as fast as possible. I like to have mine kind of draped with game, a game, a loose game bag over it Mm -hmm. if possible. Just the same thing to keep the bugs out. Like flies will find any little nook or cranny and they'll they'll start to grow maggots there. Right. Especially, I don't know what it is, but especially in velvet. Like the tissue there is so rich that it just, they go after it. The fir- that's the first thing that happens. And um, so really extra, extra care. Cover it with a game bag. Try not to let it rub if you're concerned, just whatever the situation is where you think a game bag might cause it to rub in an area, don't do it. Right. But just get it cold as fast as you can. Same thing. If you've got a processor, a lot of them understand they'll let's you know set it off in the side and let it freeze solid, which is your absolute best bet. And you know, then try to find your taxidermist that you're gonna use a little pre-work. And if you've got a really hard to get tag, right, Mm -hmm. whether it's antelope or bull, you've been waiting forever for this sheep hunt to draw finally, like it doesn't hurt to do a little homework first and find a taxidermist that you've called. You can talk to them, ask them about their lead times, do a little homework, find the right person for you. Like I said, there's a ton of amazing taxidermists in the valley. But have that already in mind. If you're hunting, you're on a trophy hunt, and it involves velvet in the early season, do yourself a favor and call. Find a taxidermist to work with. Have a plan already in place because the clock is ticking. I highly, highly recommend, and my preferred method of preserving that velvet once you get to the taxidermist is to freeze dry it. Freeze-drying velvet, you maintain all the mass. You know how the they just look pumped up, like mm-hmm. just a ton of mass. When you freeze-dry, you maintain all that mass. It looks exactly like it did when it was alive. All the mass is there. The velvet's perfect. try It's not cheap by any means, but... It is a hundred. If you're already going to do a shoulder mount, hundred percent worth freeze drying, in my opinion. I think the end product and end result is just dramatically superior, in my opinion. There's some other products out there. I, you know, a lot of us you've all seen Velvetlock. Um, in my opinion, I think it works okay for small deer, like smaller antlers. You start to get into some really big coos deer, like with a bunch of mass, or you know, a big uh, a big mature muley. I don't think it works as good. It's just my personal opinion. I think it's product, but for me, it's you know, it's for smaller stuff. The other part of that is you're spraying it and kind of brushing it into the velvet. Well, what did we talk about in the very beginning? Like, don't Don't touch touch the velvet. (laughs) Yeah, and so. In my opinion, with the velvet lock, it leaves almost like a matted look. It just—it's almost like you wetted it down and then let it dry. Right. It just doesn't look exactly the same. Mm-hmm. It does the job. It looks okay, but if you shot a two hundred inch, you know, one hundred ninety or two hundred inch mule deer on the strip in, in velvet, like man, they are. Unbelievable when you freeze dry them, of what it looks like. So yeah, if you're using Velveloc or you, the taxidermist can inject. Um, there's specific products out there for injecting, and we kind yeah, of yeah, I was
1: going to ask yeah. you about that. I've been told, to, you know, keep a syringe of whatever formaldehyde yep. or you know one of these. Yeah, so
0: there's you can get on like most. You can find it. It's called Antler and Velvet
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, by a company called Knoblox.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but yeah, it's like formalin or formaldehyde. Um, keep a syringe, and you basically poke the tips. And you know, there's some really good. Eastman's has Guy Eastman has a really good YouTube clip on how to do this on a big muley, mm-hmm. um, and it, it's a really great clip actually that shows you exactly how to do it. But you're basically taking that syringe, poking the tips um, and then some other veins on the antler. You can see them. Um, And then you're just kind of starting at the base and you're working the vein, injecting that fluid into the veins, working every vein. And basically you're squirting it in there and it'll start to drip out of the tips and it'll be like blood. Mm -hmm. Uh, But as you continue that process and continue to work towards those tips, you're flushing all that blood and fluid and organic material out of the veins and it'll start to run clear to the product that you're injecting, right? Mm -hmm. And that's when you know you did it and you've injected everything, you do one layer at a time. But then you also take that same product and then brush it on the velvet, right? Mm -hmm. And then let it dry. And just in my opinion, it just doesn't look right. And you can fluff it up Try to make it look. But then again, now you're touching that velvet again. When you freeze dry, they look amazing. Just absolutely incredible.
1: So So it's just a um, matter of being able to get, you know, most of the time when you're shooting a velvet buck, maybe not here in Arizona, but from going to Utah or something like that, we're talking about a, you know, a backcountry
0: buck or a high country buck. Yeah. And, you know, you just, you're basically. You've got to. Got to deal with the hand you're dealt, right? Mm -hmm. I freeze drying, but I think maybe three years ago, I, me and a buddy had an early season high country mule deer hunt in Idaho, Mm -hmm. and yeah, I packed syringes and I packed a whole bottle of that velvet antler and velvet fluid, and I was ready to inject it right there on the site. So if we needed to keep hunting, I knew that velvet was taken care of no matter what. So, you know, I think there's advantages and disadvantages to, like, each method you choose. Mm-hmm. One thing to be mindful of um, is when you are preserving, regardless of the technique, uh, if whether you're valve lock or injecting with that fluid or you're freeze drying even, even freeze drying.
2: Mm-hmm. You
0: need to care for that velvet at least once. I like to every twice, you know, every six months. Um, It's still, you preserve the original organic material, right? You need to care for it. You need to dust it off uh, lightly, kind of blow it off if you can preferred. Mm -hmm. but you'll want, you need to kind of do a very light dusting with like a, soft paintbrush on that velvet with a borax solution um it it will preserve and kind of care for it forever the bugs will want to find it eventually even if you freeze dry it well so when you freeze drying it yeah you're you're freeze drying it but the material is still there right the borax completely deters any bugs my, my opinion once yeah. every six months I know that velvet lock also Keep, makes that cleaner too right Like they make yeah, something you can it. yeah yep and, and just try to that velvet you're only going to shoot so many animals in velvet in your career you know your hunting career spend the time to preserve them because they just look beautiful on the wall
1: yeah I agree they look beautiful on the wall I, I don't have any big velvet bucks um <laughs> The one, Come on the, the one or two times that I've shot, one that was um, pretty good, um, I screwed up the velvet and didn't get it back in time, so they've, they've been stripped.
2: Yeah.
1: So um, I, I do have one that's you know he's not a real big buck, but he was a cool buck, and um, I had the flocking on there, and I fucking mm-hmm. hate it. I hate the way it looks.
0: Yeah, you know, there's a couple products that are out on the market that. You can try to do an artificial velvet, and I use an electrostatics device to help me stand the fibers up mm-hmm. so they look really realistic. That's, in my opinion, if I'm going to do it, that's the only. Okay. Um, and it kind of elect electrostatic stacks the hairs to so they stick upright. Gotcha. I'm not a huge fan of it, but back to that what we talked about like every buck is not going to be shoulder mounted right Mm -hmm. and you're certainly not going to want to pay to freeze dry a you know a decent muley forky that you shot with your bow but you want to honor that animal Mm -hmm. and you want that euro mount and uh you know in my opinion you know if you shot it in velvet you know put it back to velvet but there's some great products out there to try to do some like i said like that electrostatic stacking of the hairs Mm -hmm. it does look actually really good um as long as you're trying to taxidermist is really trying to focus on matching the color of the fibers right Mm -hmm. um i think the mule deer the more smaller mule deer look really great but yeah so
1: sweet yeah well that's all i got for you man
0: cool well, it was great talking with you. We need to hang out soon. I, I don't think you're too far from me. so. No, no. We live around the block pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I know. Let's uh, let's get out and do some hunting now.
1: Sounds good. Well, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your knowledge with us. And uh, good luck to you in the remainder of the season.
0: Sounds great. Same to you, John. All
1: right. Thanks <laughs> a lot. Hey, guys. Thanks for checking out the show. Really appreciate you. Keep those reviews and those comments coming helps us keep this free do me a favor go check out phoenix shooting bags use promo code john stallone to save 20 percent. all one word and check out how for wildlife thank you very much
2: and we'll catch you on the next show